Good morning. Great. Well, we're into second of a quite lengthy series we're going to be doing on the Book of Acts. We've got seven, a seven-week block now between now and June, and we're going to take a pause over the summer, and then September we'll come back and spend a bit longer finishing off the Book of Acts from September through to Christmas. Less than eight months to Christmas now, we can start talking about it again. <laughs> Richard, look at your cheerful little face. We need to, we need to start rehearsing the, the, the Christmas. Becky, we need the Christmas choir rehearsing now. Come on, Easter's passed. Anyway, so this morning, we're, the theme is, we're, we're talking about being devoted this morning. Um, there are examples of devotion all around us. You see it in parents who are... Devoted to their kids, obviously, tangibly, very practically devoted to their kids. You see it in workers who are devoted to their work, who evidence that by the hours they put in and the diligence with which they do the thing for which they're employed. We see it in people who are uh, devoted to athletic performance. Think of friends of mine in my running club who are clearly devoted to running, who will run every day and race most weekends. You see it in Homeowners who are devoted to their houses who are always looking for the next little improvement, the next fix, the next remodeling, the uh, next step up in the home. You see it in people who are devoted to fun. There are quite a lot of those in Paul, people who've done all right in London, started a family, made some money, moved down here and moved here because this is a place where they can pursue a lifestyle of fun, where you can maximize potential fun, where you can get the big VW camper and go for the weekend with your friends and do stuff on the beach. And people can be devoted to fun. People are devoted to all kinds of things. As a the phrase, value what you do and do what you value. And what do your actions reveal about your values? What do your actions reveal about the things that you're devoted to? might be that you actually struggle a little bit to think, well, I'm not sure what I'm devoted to. Uh, I'd suggest that one indication of the things that you're devoted to is if you get a bit, the things you get a bit twitchy about if you can't do them. I, I was just thinking about this this morning. I was sitting, eating my breakfast and looking at, out, the, out the window at my garden. I thought, actually, I am devoted to my lawn. <laughs> now, it's not a particularly good lawn. It's pretty patchy because we've got four kids and we're out there a lot because we've got two dogs and the Dogs pee on the lawn and leave brown stains and all the rest. But I am actually pretty devoted to my lawn because I know that I get twitchy if the grass gets a bit long and untidy and if I can't get out there and mow it because I'm too busy or because it's raining. And, and I know I get a bit twitchy about that. So I think, actually, I'm probably I'm devoted to my lawn, which is a bit bizarre. And I think about other things which I get a bit twitchy about if I can't do them, if I'm kept from doing them. I think, yeah, that's a good indication of things I'm devoted to. What are you... What are you devoted to if, if, you, if you can't leave the house or if you leave the house and you've forgotten your phone and you get twitchy about that or if every 10 minutes you have to be checking your phone every five minutes and if you can't, you start getting twitchy. That's probably a good indication that you're devoted to your phone for whatever reasons that might. What, what are you devoted to? Now, we're all, if you're going to be devoted to something, you, you want to choose the right thing to be devoted to. And uh, that's kind of really the, the summary of what I want to speak about this morning. What is it we're going to be devoted to? Choose the right thing. Choose the right thing. It might be that you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. My 
invitation to you this morning. This morning's message is kind of primarily for those of us who are followers of Jesus. This is a message about, about the church, and it's a message for the church. But for those of you who don't yet know Jesus, my invitation to you would be, what are you most devoted to? Because as Matthew expressed it in that illustration he gave, I'd say that the thing, the one, the person that's best to be devoted to is Jesus, that it's in Jesus that actually you can find the answer to all your devotions, all the things that you long for, all the things that you most value or should most value. You'll find the answer to those things in Christ Jesus. If you're going to be devoted, be devoted to the right thing. And you should be devoted because living without some kind of devotion in your life isn't really a life worth living. If we just go through life, just going through the motions, just doing what has to be done to survive. That's not really much of a life. For in order for our lives to have value, we need to find things which are worth devoting ourselves to. We need to, we need to find things which are worth sacrificing for. We need something which is worthy of the sacrifices that we make. People sacrifice for the things they're devoted to. If you're going to sacrifice, you better make sure the thing you're sacrificing to is worthy of your sacrifice. So what is it you're devoted to? What is it you value? Book of Acts tells us about... Devotion in the early church. If you're not there already, if you can grab a Bible, find it. Acts chapter 2, page 1094. And just a few verses, Acts 42 to verse 47. This is a a foundational passage for us as Christians, this passage at the end of Acts. Uh, Throughout most of this series, we're going to be taking pretty big chunks, a chapter or two at a time, looking at the story of what happens in the book of Acts. But this is somewhere where we we need to slow down and just focus on a few verses because uh, this is so crucial to our whole understanding of what church should be like. It says this, they, that's the first believers in Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Hallelujah. Three things I want to talk about from this passage this morning, that this is a model for us, it's a challenge for us, and there's a dream for us in this. First thing, this is a model for us. Now, the book of Acts written by Dr. Luke describes specific people in specific places at specific times. This is a a kind of a historical record. That's why Luke wrote it, to set out a historical account of what happened in the first 30-year history of the Church of Jesus Christ. And that means we need to be a little bit careful about how we seek to apply the book of Acts to us, because very often uh, we can say things like, our church should be just like it was in the book of Acts. So often I've I've heard that, and I'm sure I've said it myself many times as well. We should be just like the book of Acts. But the reality is we can't map the experience of what the book of Acts describes directly onto ours, because the book of Acts is about particular people in particular places at a particular time, and we're different people in a different place at a different time. So it won't be exactly the same for us as it was for the people in Acts. It couldn't be. It's not meant to be. 
good example is the first story in the book of Acts, the story of Pentecost, which if you were here last week, we looked at when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church for the first time. Now, here we have an expectation of the Holy Spirit being at work amongst us. We have an expectation as we gather, God by his Holy Spirit is present with us. We expect the Holy Spirit to fill us personally and to release spiritual gifts amongst us. But our experience of the Holy Spirit is different from that described in Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost was it says the Holy Spirit came and it was like tongues of fire were on their heads. Now, that's not something I've never experienced. It's something I've never seen. I wouldn't expect to. It's a different point of time, a different moment in history, a different circumstance. So we can learn from the book of Acts, but we can't say it should be exactly as it was for us as it was for them. The reality is that this Christian community, which is being described here, was unique because it was the Christian community. There was no wider Christian world. There was no Christian history. There was no Christian theology. Our place in history, we can walk around where we live in in Europe. You can go anywhere in Europe and many other parts of the world, and there is evidence of Christianity all around. There's physical evidence of physical artifacts with church buildings in every village and town and city. There's the physical evidence of Christianity. There's the kind of social evidence of Christianity as so many of our laws are shaped by Christian values and so many of what we think of as modern enlightenment values actually stem from Christianity, our contemporary values of tolerance and diversity and equality, which actually are rooted in the Christian gospel. Our our laws and our values are shaped by Christianity. And if I'm thinking about a subject and trying to understand how something works and maybe thinking about what the Bible says, I can go to one of the books on my shelf and I can consult what Christians for the past 2,000 years have thought on particular subjects and how they've worked it out and lived it out and written about it. And we're surrounded by that. Now, this church in Jerusalem, they had none of that. There were no church buildings. There was no Christian history. There was no body of Christian theology because they were the only Christians in the world. This was it. And these were people who unlike us. Many of them had seen Jesus raised from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that more than 500 of the brothers and sisters saw Jesus once he'd been raised from the dead. So there is a whole crowd of people here who had seen the risen Christ Jesus, which none of us have, none of us could. So it's almost impossible for us really to imagine just what it was like for these Christians in Jerusalem at this time. There were no Christians in the world, except this group of Christians in Jerusalem, a whole bunch of whom had actually literally, flesh and blood, seen Jesus risen from the dead. That small group of around 500 had then been swelled by 3,000 who responded in faith on the day of Pentecost. And then day by day, people were being added to their number. So it was a growing number. It was a big crowd. But still, this was it. This was all there was in terms of Christianity in the world. And so it's a category mistake for us to say we should be just like the book of Acts. We can't be. We're a different point of history. It's just not possible. But this community described here in Acts 2 is a model for us. There are things for us to learn here. There's things for us to emulate. There's things for us to aspire to. There's a a pattern here for us to aspire to. And the pattern is that these were a people who were devoted. It says they were devoted. 
And the question is, why? Why were they devoted? Why were they devoted in the way that they were? And the reason is because of the transforming experience of the presence of God they had known. The Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them. That's, that's where it begins. It begins on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit poured out on the disciples. They go out onto the street and preach, and 3,000 respond. There's this out, outpouring of the Spirit that enables these people to, to see Christ Jesus. Some of them had seen Jesus literally risen from the dead. Others hadn't, but they all saw him when the Holy Spirit opened their spiritual eyes to see him. That was their starting point, and that has to be our starting point too, and our constant reference point, that we need to know the reality of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us. It's this experience of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, which totally reoriented these people in Jerusalem and totally reorients us as well. And because they'd been impacted by God in this way, it says they were devoted. And there's four things which uh, Luke describes them as being devoted to. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So let's just look at each of those one by one. First of all, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The transformative experience of God's presence, the Holy Spirit, had opened their eyes. But what is really fascinating about this is it doesn't say they devoted themselves to experiences of the Holy Spirit, which is what we might expect. They'd had this incredible encounter with God. They'd been together in a, in a room in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit was poured out. Tongues of fire had appeared on their heads. They'd all gone out into the streets speaking other languages. You'd think what it would say is they devoted themselves to further experiences of the Holy Spirit. That's not what it says. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, why is that? It's because they were hungry to learn. And they were hungry for truth. Because that's how you grow. That's how you get strong. That's how you get clear about what it is you're meant to believe and how you're meant to believe it. We can sometimes have the kind of mistaken framework that we can say, and I've heard people say this, that wouldn't it be great if God's presence was so much amongst us that we never even got to open the Bibles in our meetings? That's, that's not a measure of a good meeting. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching because that's how they were going to grow. That's how they're going to get strengthened. That's how they're going to understand what Jesus was doing amongst them. Now, of course, all that was inspired and filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. But their focus wasn't just on the experiences. Their focus was on, let's learn about this thing. Let's understand it so we can apply it more. And for us now, of course, it's different. The apostles aren't with us. The 12 disciples are not with us anymore. But the teaching of the apostles is contained for us in this book. It's contained for us in this Bible. And that's why we place such an emphasis upon the Bible. It's why we place such emphasis upon getting into the Bible. It's why we're encouraging people to be part of community Bible reading groups. And if you're not yet in one of those, it's not too late. You can sign up. You put on a Connect card or talk to myself or Richard and say, I'd like to be in a CBR group, and we can, we can make that happen. It's a way of helping us as a church, as a community, be, to be devoted to the Word of God. It's why we give time every Sunday morning to doing what I'm doing now, to teaching from the Bible, because it's as we 
get into the Bible that we're strengthened. It's as we get into the Bible that we grow. It's as we get into the Bible that we get clear as God's Spirit works in us, as He takes the words of Scripture and applies them to our hearts. Now, it might be that you say, well, I, I don't really read books. I'm not really academic. And there's lots of people who say that and lots of people who that's true. But the reality is that everybody is capable of learning about the thing to which they are devoted. The grandmother who has 25 grandkids and never forgets a birthday. Why? Because she's devoted to her grandchildren. The guy who's really into football and could tell you every FA Cup result for the last 30 years. Why? Because he's devoted to football. Everybody can learn about the thing to which they are devoted. It's not about whether you're academic. It's not about your IQ. It's not about whether you're a reader. It's about whether or not you're devoted. It's about your heart. It's not about how clever you are. It's about where your devotion is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. What does that mean? It means... Genuine experience of being together, body life, genuine community, not the kind of flimsy way that we often talk about community in our society. You know, genuinely working out life together. Now, why were they devoted to that? I think a lot of that would have been because in choosing to follow Christ, that would have been a costly decision for many of them. Probably many of them had known some separation from other friendships and from family because it was a, a decision to follow Christ was a decision not to live as they had been. A decision to follow Christ was a decision in the sense to walk away from what had been normal for, for, for them and the kind of culture and the beliefs they'd walked in before. And so this fellowship, this body, these people were, was their new family. It's where they'd invested. It's where they were placing their devotion and we need to work out how we work out fellowship. We live in a different world from the people in Jerusalem in the early part of, uh, of, two, of the common era 2,000 years ago. Our, our social structures are different. We, we, uh, many of you live within walking distance of this building, but others don't. We're not kind of bound by geography in the same way. We have cars. We travel. We're not... So it's not so much about you do everything with people in your streets, you work in the fields with people in your streets. It's not like that anymore. Our, our networks, our communities form differently. Uh, we, we, we do, our structures of life are different. It's a different world. And so we can't expect our, the way we do community to be exactly the same as it was in the early church. It's because our society is different. But what does it mean for us to be devoted to fellowship? If somebody looked into our lives, if somebody did an audit of your life or my life, would they be able to say, would they say, there's evidence here that he, that she is clearly devoted to the fellowship? Would there be some evidence for that? Would there be some clarity about that? And I think sometimes, perhaps often actually, there would be, that people might be able to peer into what's happening in your life and say, yes, it's clear there's evidence of devotion to fellowship here. It might be some of the practical things which happen. Maybe when new mum has a baby and meals are provided for a couple of weeks, they say, ah, oh, people will look at that and say, wow, there's evidence of something of real community here. Or I was talking to somebody the other night who was saying about how when they'd been going through a time of financial difficulty, how they were helped. And he said, never known anything like it in terms of how the church helped, food provided, money provided. So it might be at times that people could kind of open up the book of our lives and they'd see evidence of devotion. But 
Would somebody write about us as Luke writes about this church? They were devoted to the fellowship. It's a model for us. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Why? As Christ commands, Jesus had said to his disciples, do this whenever you do it in remembrance of me. Take and eat. This is my body. And they were devoted to the breaking of bread because of all that the breaking of bread represents, the things that we emphasize week by week as we take communion, as we're going to do in a few minutes' time. All the things that taking the bread and the wine represents to us, that this is a meal of thanksgiving when we thank Jesus for all that he has done for us, all that he is to us. It's a meal of unity when we express that we're one body, one people joined together in Christ. It's a a meal of the presence of Jesus when we say we believe that Jesus is amongst us and this physical piece of bread and this physical drop of juice represent our confidence in the real presence of Jesus here amongst us. It's a meal of remembrance as we remember Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. It's a meal of proclamation as we say we believe that Christ is coming again. It's a meal of examination as we look into our own hearts and think about how we are doing in terms of our relationship to the people of Christ, to his body, his church. Coming to the table does us good. Being devoted to the breaking of bread does us good, strengthens us, builds us up in our faith. And then it says they were devoted to prayer. Why? Because prayer is about fellowship with God. They were devoted to fellowship with one another. They were also devoted to fellowship with God. Prayer is where we encounter God, where the stuff happens. We come before him with our thanks and our praise and with our petitions and requests, and stuff happens. And so this church was devoted to prayer, as we should be devoted to prayer. Now, there are many good reasons for not praying, There are good reasons for prayer being kind of squeezed out of our lives. There are good reasons for not being able to make it to a church prayer meeting. But to be honest, there are more bad reasons than good ones for not praying. As Richard said this Friday, first Friday of the month, we have a particular focus on prayer. It's actually the first first Friday we've done for three months because last month, April, was holidays and so we didn't do it in March. We were snowed off. So actually, it's the first time we've gathered like this since, since February. Let's, let's pray together. If you can be here 7 o'clock Friday morning, wonderful, please do. If you can't, still pray. Be devoted to prayer. Take a moment during the day, kind of put it in your diary, set an alarm for it, remind yourself, set time aside to pray for us, to pray for God's action amongst us, to pray for his presence, to pray for his blessing, to, to pray for salvation, to pray for God to help us with our 2020 vision, to pray that we would be more devoted Let's, let's, let's pray together this Friday. This church prayed because they knew their need of prayer. Do we? Now, all this sets a pattern for us. It's a, a model for us, a church that was devoted, a church that was devoted to teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. And that also contains for us a real challenge. Because what's described here is something which seems to just be at a different level from what our experience of of church life is. It says that there was awe 
amongst them all. And where is that? Where is the sense of awe? Sometimes there might be moments when it feels like we're touching it, but it says everyone was filled with awe at what was happening. There were many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. Now, sure, these were the apostles. They'd been with Jesus. Different from our experience, but there are many signs and wonders. We see some signs and wonders. We pray for the sick, and sometimes somebody gets healed. We ask for God to intervene in other ways, and at times we see God's clear intervention. We see answered prayer, but many signs and wonders were being done amongst them. There's extraordinarily radical community living going on. And it's interesting when we look at these verses, often it's these ones we quickly skip over. We tend to focus on the kind of the spiritual power dynamic of what's described here. And we quickly just skip over the verses which said, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had needs. Not my house, my car, my lawnmower. Our house, our car, our lawnmower. And in our materialistic Western world, that can be the verse which we quickly hop over because it is a challenge to us, this radical community living which they were devoted to. And then a daily encounter with God and with one another. Day by day, they were meeting with one another. Day by day, they were meeting with God. There's a challenge there. There's lots of challenge there. Now again, context, our context is different. We're in a different place, at a different time, a different point of history, different experience. What Acts describes for us, it's a model, not a direct map we can just impose upon our experience. We can't expect to experience exactly the same thing, but we need to feel the challenge of these verses. Gateway Church, where are we at? Now, sometimes there's a good report which comes. You hear a story this happened. God moved in this way, or this person in the church has, by God's grace, done this thing. You hear good reports. You, maybe after a gift day, there's accounts of genuine sacrificial giving displayed, or maybe like last, night's, uh, last Sunday night's uh, worship night, which many of us were at, when there was just such a sense of the presence of God, we, a sense of freedom, of liberty, of wit, the, a full room of believers together, enjoying being together, enjoying God's presence. It, it felt like they were together and devoted to fellowship and devoted to prayer. That's what it felt like last Sunday night. Sometimes there's a good report. But to be honest, at other times, the report might be more, could do better. Now, challenge is different from condemnation. It'd be very easy for me to start condemning, listing off all the things which I'm not happy about in church life, and you should be doing this, and we should be doing that, and rah. And that would be, well, actually, it wouldn't be true because God's blessed us in so many ways, and there's so much which is good. But we shouldn't feel condemnation, not condemned, but we should feel the challenge. As we read these verses, we shouldn't feel condemned by their example, but we should feel the challenge of the example of this first church. It should make us think, where do we need to step up? How, how, might, how might we as a church more closely follow the pattern which is set here? How, how might we more closely follow the model which is given us? How might we be more devoted? What, what actually are our expectations? What do we really expect of God? Where is our faith? What are our expectations of God working in us and through us? And 
And to be honest, what are our, our expectations of ourselves in terms of the kind of lives that we live and the, t- the ways in which we express devotion to Jesus? Where should we be asking more of God? Where are our horizons too small and too narrow, our ambitions too mean, our faith too small, our efforts too meager? Where do we feel the challenge? We should feel the challenge. So read Acts chapter 2, this church, they devoted themselves. We should feel the challenge of that. And we should feel the challenge of, of that, and that should also cause us to dream. This is the last thing we should dream. The way this portion of Acts finishes is with this amazing statement, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, as I keep saying, this is a unique situation. It's, it's not we should be exactly the same as they were. We, we can't be. But let's dream a little. Why not, in our day, see more of this? Why not be more like this church than we are? Why not see more evidence of God's power and grace amongst us than we do? Why not? Why not be more devoted than we are? Last Sunday night, and in our worship night, I was standing there, and my kind of mind flicked over to thinking, imagine what it, dream what it would be like if there was such a hunger amongst us and such a move of God in our town that every night we were having to open up our buildings to have times in the presence of God because there was such a sense of urgency amongst people to be in the presence of God that we were having to do that every night. If every night was like last Sunday night, but more. And then I started to think practically, well, man, I'm already out four nights a week with the church. (laughs) Would I really want to have to be here every night? And I thought, yes, I would. Yes, I would. I'd love it if that was the case, if there was such a move of God amongst us that every night we were saying, let's gather together, let's fellowship together, let's fellowship with God, let's be devoted to this stuff. And if as a result of that, there are people in the streets around us who are coming in and meeting Jesus and getting saved and being added to our number daily, yes, Lord, why not? Let's dream a little. It says that every day people are being added to their number. Now, our situation isn't the same as Acts, but the harvest is still out there. Most people around us don't yet know Jesus. The need is there. The harvest is there. Why not, Lord? The thing we've been praying about over the last year or two is the baptism every month. We've been kind of tracking that way. A dozen or so baptisms a year. Praise God, that's great. But why not baptisms every week? Why not 50 or so people getting baptized every, every year here at Gateway? Why not every day? Why not three or 400 people getting baptized every year at Gateway? Why not? Let's dream. Let's dream a bit. Thursday morning, I was at a gathering of pastors from across the town, and uh, one of the leaders of one of the bigger churches in town said, if in a year's time we were half the size but twice the commitment, that would be a success. And we often said, yes, that's right, we were talking about, it's interesting how God had been speaking to guys across Paul and Bournemouth about, in their churches, how the focus needed to be not on bums on seats, but on making genuine disciples, about seeing church members who are truly devoted to the way of Christ. And we all said, yes, that's right, twice the commitment, twice the devotion, but half the numbers, that would be success. But then as I was thinking about it and preparing for this, I thought, actually, yes, but... Because what we see here in the book of Acts is that the two things go together. Yeah. 
that they were devoted. And the Lord added to their number daily. More devotion and more addition. And why not? Can't we dream about that? What might God do? What could God do? Might, might we be twice as committed in a year's time? Might we be more devoted than we currently are? Might we be more devoted to the teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer? Might, might our community life be more genuinely radical in our sharing together, what that looks like of what real community is? Why not? And why not the Lord adding daily to their number? Stream a little. Let's dream a little. There's a, a model for us given here in Acts chapter 2 of what the first church was like, which can't be mapped onto any other church, but surely gives us a pattern for the kind of feel for how a church should be. A church where people are devoted to one another, devoted to Jesus, where the power of God is evident, where people are getting saved day by day. There's a model for us. There's a challenge for us. Where is our faith? And there's something for us to dream about. Come on, Lord. What might you do amongst us? What could we do here? This book of Acts, it describes this 30-year story of the beginnings of the church. What might God do amongst us in the next 30 years? What could happen here? What can we dream of? What can we expect for? Let's believe for it. Let's dream for it. Let's live it. The church devoted to Jesus Christ.